Something that I live by is wherever your awareness flows, your energy goes. So whenever you're aware of things around you, that's where you can contribute the most of your energy. You are now listening to the Lifelong Learning Defined podcast with your host, George Valenzuela. This is education coach George Valenzuela. Welcome to the Lifelong Learning Defined podcast, where I provide all educators, whether instructional leaders or teachers, tips on how to be their best, both personally and professionally. Now let's get into it. We are here today with my very good friend, Victoria Thompson. Hi. (laughs) How are you? I am awesome, George. Victoria is an entrepreneur, an education speaker, consultant, and an executive at Microsoft. Correct. Victoria, I love that you excel in three major areas of your life. Number one, you're a kick-ass entrepreneur like myself. Number two, you're very passionate about Microsoft and your role in the organization. And three, you're very passionate about Disney. Yes, (laughs) that is correct. (laughs) Victoria and I met at TCEA in 2022. Mm -hmm. I was a featured speaker at the conference and doing a presentation that was being recorded and she was my moderator, y'all. We met again the following week at IdeaCon in Illinois, where she invited me to join her for lunch, and the rest is history. We've been good friends since then. Victoria, tell the audience how our personal relationship has evolved in your perspective since then. Absolutely. I remember when we first met, we, it was almost like two ships passing in the night. Because we, we knew each other vaguely from social media. We had presented at some of the same conferences, but we never had that face-to-face interaction. I remember being your moderator, um, and I'm looking at you up there, and I'm thinking, I think I know that guy. Like I'm 99.9% sure that we've ran in the same circles. I remember even just meeting you from the first time. It, it felt like an instant connection. We talk about a lot of the same things. We're involved in a lot of the same passion projects. Uh, We're also both very passionate about being our most authentic selves. Whenever we show up and present, whenever we're working with people in our friendships, regardless, we we just always want to show up as who we are. I know for me personally, the way that our friendship has evolved, it's not just us being friends. It's also colleagues as well. I know that I can call you at any time if I've got a question or maybe if I'm really struggling, you're always there to give advice and feedback. You, the same with me. If you need anything, you can call me. It's always that working relationship where we're friends, we're colleagues, and we're learning from each other along the way. And that's so special because sometimes you have one or the other and you don't have both. So I'm very thankful that we have both. Thank you. For folks listening out there, this is called the Lifelong Learning Defined Podcast. It's a podcast where I interview entrepreneurs, educators, and my friends. They don't have to be educators. And we talk about three things that they excel at or they're passionate about. These are topics that typically most of the audience are interested in. The first one is entrepreneurship. Victoria, you are all over the place. Every day, whether Twitter, LinkedIn, I'm seeing you doing big things. What made you become an entrepreneur? Mrs. Worldwide, as my friends like to call me. I'll begin by giving a little bit of my background because I have bounced around a bit, but have always stayed within the realm of educational technology and education. I started out teaching fifth and sixth grade in Charleston, South Carolina area. I was there for years. And then my spouse, her name is Courtney. 
She was active duty military and then reserve. So if y'all know anything about the military, when they say it's time to go, you have to pick up and go. That's how we ended up in the Seattle, Washington area. And we were there for about four years. And now we live in Winter Garden, Florida, which is a suburb of Orlando. But backtracking and going through my trajectories, a lot of it really started because I was just a teacher when I was in South Carolina. And I know sometimes when people say just a teacher, it gets flack and oh, you're more than just a teacher. But truly, I was just a teacher in South Carolina. I wasn't really doing any after school clubs. I was just focusing on teaching. But it wasn't necessarily because that's what I really wanted to do. It was because that was just what was available for me. Conferences weren't coming to Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, There were no opportunities for me to speak unless it was a school PD, which I was terrified because when you speak in front of your colleagues who work with you every day, it's very different from speaking at a conference where you might know some people in the audience, but not really. That there was also not a lot of opportunity. Charleston, as much as I love that city, refers to itself as Silicon Harbor. Living in the Seattle area, that's bananas to me (laughs) because there is no tech industry. I was getting a little anxious and not in like a bad way, but I could just feel myself shifting in my seat, trying to figure out what I can do to maximize what I wanted to do with the very limited opportunities that were being presented by me in my school and in my district. I found out very quickly as I was exploring that I either had to move, which at the time wasn't an option, or I could do my own thing. That's how I decided to do my own thing. I started first in my district, just giving small presentations here and there, actually on uh, mathematics and STEM, because again, that's my background. I've always done STEM teaching and STEM coaching. So it was all about integrating digital media and picture books into mathematics and science, which is a presentation I still give to this day. It looks very different now than it did eight years ago, but I still give it because I love it. And that's how I started consulting, working with various districts and schools. It can be anything from small workshops to a keynote to sometimes even working directly with principals to incorporate that ed tech and STEM strategy into their schools long-term. Then when we moved to Seattle, that's when things really began to blow up because larger city, more opportunity, point blank period. I was working with a 1.70 school districts, which when I was in South Carolina, I never would have in a million years imagined working with 70 different districts, not principals, districts. However, that made me happy because I was looking at myself in the mirror and I'm thinking all the self-doubt that you had, you didn't even need. Thinking back to my position now, because I do work at Microsoft Education, where I've got a very large role leading educators and leading school districts from that lens. But then I also do my own thing, right, as an entrepreneur and an ed tech consultant. What fuels me is opportunity. When there's no opportunity, we either sit and we say, okay, this is it, which I never do. Or we can say, let's try something. Why would you settle for less when the world gives you more? I wanted more and I found more and I got more. For folks watching, I'm sure anyone that is a speaker, is a coach, they definitely can relate to being nervous about speaking in front of colleagues, in front of friends. And here's the thing though, practice will never make perfect, but it makes you better. Repetition is the mother of skill. I would die from anxiety 
back in the day, and I would feel extremely uncomfortable speaking in front of friends, in front of colleagues, or just being on the mic and looking into a camera just like this. But what I will say is I heard a quote, make sure you go into the room like you were sent there. Mm -hmm. And eventually when we do our work, we will definitely improve. I love that you provide advice to educators that are looking to leave the classroom. Mm -hmm. You have a great article on Edutopia about this. Can you explain what made you offer this advice? So there's two articles. The first was about just like a guide for career transitioning for educators. And then the second one they wrote was maintaining and cultivating a positive presence online. Some of the feedback that I received from those articles was that it was, or rather two pieces of feedback. The first was that it wasn't specific enough. And this was for the guide to career transitioning for educators. So hold on that. And then the second was for cultivating a positive presence online. It was that professionalism is coded in different areas of racism, like different pieces here and there of marginalized communities. I can take both pieces of feedback, but here's why I created these articles. If I were to go back to the first piece where it wasn't specific enough for creating your pathway, for transitioning out of the classroom, there's a reason for that. And it's because nobody's pathway is the same. When I moved from the classroom, truly, purely, it was out of necessity because we moved from Charleston to Seattle in January. Schools don't hire in January, typically. They hire yeah. in April, May, June, and the summer. Right. So I had to be creative about what I wanted to do for my career path. Stay-at-home spouse, I did like one day of it while I was job searching, and I was like, oh, my goodness, get me out of here. <laughs> I can't <laughs> stay at home like that. It's, it's just not who I am. It's, it's great for people that can, but it's not for me. So then I had to chart my pathway to try to figure out where I wanted to be and also what I wanted to do. My pathway I know looks different from yours. It looks different from other friends who are also consultants or maybe they're in other roles. I've got a friend who works at LinkedIn and he actually started out as a carpenter. And then he was able to just take tech certifications. And he was like, hey, I think I really am interested in project management. And then he leveled up to project management on construction sites and is now project management at a Microsoft subsidiary as LinkedIn. That's amazing. I was never a carpenter. We work for similar companies because Microsoft owns LinkedIn, but our pathways are different. I just encourage people whenever they look at roles and they're like, "Hmm, I think I might want that. Especially if they're reaching out to ask questions about how they got to where they are, know that their blueprint is going to be different from yours. Because we're all different people. We all have different circumstances. We also all have different levels of urgency. I know some Mm -hmm. people who are trying to get out of the classroom right now by any means necessary. They're contacting me, asking all these questions. And I have to be honest and say some of the advice I have does seem to some people outdated because I haven't had a classroom in five years. My urgency was based out of, okay, we just moved across the country versus this job is bananas and I need to leave. So the blueprints are going to be different. So just respect that. The other piece of the puzzle is the cultivating that positive and authentic presence online. The advice that I always give for that is because for me, there's a difference between professionalism and being a professional. There are some pieces of professionalism that are coded in marginalized communities trying to fit in, 
right? Like your hair needs to look a certain way. You need to dress a certain way. You need to speak a, you know, like a certain way. There are definitely pieces of professionalism that are coded in certain communities. However, if I'm asking for you to be dependable at work, if I'm asking for you to communicate with me, if you're having difficulties, if I'm asking for you to show up on time, right? Like different cultures have different notions of, of, of space and time. But if there's something going on, just communicate with me. There's nothing about that that's coded in race, gender, <laughs> right? It's about being a dependable human being. It's about being a professional. So the difference for me between professionalism and being a professional is that when you are looking to exit the classroom, you have to have that professional presence. We're not saying you have to be 100% squeaky clean. What we are saying is when I look at your social media profile, I look at your LinkedIn, I look at your website, I look at your whatever, there needs to be, for me, some semblance where I can understand at least where you're coming from and who you are. An estimated 70% of employers look at online social media profiles before hiring somebody. It's the first place they go. Exactly. I didn't know anything about branding until about a year ago. But one thing that I did that was smart, I learned this from a guy named Chad Ratliff that's in Albemarle County in Charlottesville. One of the things that he would do is he would post on social media. Back then, I didn't have a Twitter, but I had a Facebook. When I met him in person, he said to me, you have to promote your work. You do. You have to nobody promote else is going to promote it for you. <laughs> he said, if you promote your work and if your work is showing how you're impacting young people and also teachers, then what will happen is you don't have to convince your superintendent, your exactly. director, or the principal. They're going to see the results. So that's one thing. The one thing that I will say is that I did that smart, but branding, I did not know. I was watching a podcast and Rory Vaden, who's the CEO of Brand Builders, was on there. And he talked about personal brand. And he said, your personal brand is what people think about when they see you or when they hear your name. Yes. He said, you have a brand, whether you admit it or not, or or whether you (laughs) ask it or not, you already have a brand. Make sure that you get in front of the narrative. That was the first time that I started to think about maybe I should post some of the things that I do in my personal time. Never did that before. Another thing, we talk about code switching all the time. I think that I understand in certain spaces, we want to be professional. One of the things that I've learned not to do, and when you hear someone else do it, it's a little annoying is when people change their voice. Mm-hmm. It's okay to be professional and speak the academic language, all of that, but you have to say it in your voice, not exactly. in someone else's exactly. voice. Exactly. Yep. If you're yep. saying it in your voice, you're golden. It's the moment that you start to deviate from who you are, right. then that becomes a problem. So right, right, that's right. why I wrote that article, because quite frankly, I was seeing people lose out on opportunities because of the way that they were conducting themselves on social media. And they come to me either as friends or perhaps as colleagues or whoever looking for feedback. And I go to their pages and it's either blank. So I don't have an idea of who they are. I don't know their brand or their brand is completely off putting. There's tons of cussing inappropriate content 
complaining about employers, complaining about their current work. I don't get a sense of who they are and what they want to put out in the world whenever I see that happening. A thing that also gets me a lot is the online bullying. I know bullying can sometimes get like a weird, the people are like, that's bullying. I'm like, mm, that's not really bullying. If somebody <laughs> doesn't like your article, that's not bullying. They just don't like your article. But when I see incessant attacks on folks, I, I've had conversations with folks that I work with where, they're, where they might be considering taking somebody on. They'll hire me as the consultant to look at their profiles and maybe see if it might be a good fit. And there have been some times where I've had to say, hey, listen, this is what I saw. I'm not going to tell you what to do. <laughs> I know as the consultant, I, I'm there to help. But this is what I observed. And now you get to make the most informed decision for your company, your school district, or whatever. People are watching is what I'm trying to say. And people will, will remember you and your brand based off of what you put out there. That's why I pre provide that information because I haven't had a classroom in five years. I've been teaching, doing all these different things. Like some of these positions I've taught and I've consulted or I've taught and I've also been a coach and I've been doing a little bit of everything. But at the end of the day, I'm only 29 and I've done all these things. <laughs> so then I've got people who are older than me who have been teachers for a very long time and they're seeing people get other jobs and do all these things and they come to me for advice. The best advice that I can always give is be yourself, be authentic but also be mindful of what you do and how, and what you want to put forth into the world. I do want to say this on Instagram, the algorithm does not reward what we do. Look into the camera here's a post that I did mm. and it reached 141 accounts. Now I did an advertisement okay. and I paid and it reached 36,000 accounts. Okay. Think about the Super Bowl. On the Super Bowl, there's ads in between the games. You have to pay to be seen. It's exactly. Yep, you do. That's the you way do. it works. The research shows that although the algorithm is not rewarding what we do, it's still the first place that a principal, that a director, that someone that's going to hire you is going to look. Yes. I've yes. I've, I've checked this across the board with a lot of my clients. And I always ask them, where did you go to look me up? And everyone said the same thing, mm -hmm. Instagram. Yep, exactly. For me, it's mostly LinkedIn because well, of text circles LinkedIn. And, and all that stuff. But it's also to the point where if I work with somebody and they say they don't have a LinkedIn, then I'm like, ooh. But again, these are the circles that I run in where it's, it's almost an expectation. When we first moved to Seattle, my very first job, I was a technology strategy consultant at a Microsoft subsidiary. That was actually how I got my toes wet with Microsoft. I was the Microsoft girl because it was a big advertising marketing campaign with six, with six districts across the United States. And they needed help is the best way that I could frame it. So I came in to help and it was really successful. But I had a LinkedIn basically out of necessity. I created one in college, but a lot of teachers at that point were not on LinkedIn because they were on Facebook connecting with other people. They were on Instagram. They basically had a LinkedIn as a living resume, but they weren't posting or doing anything on it. I got reamed. Like my, my second week at that workplace, they're like, what do you mean you're not on LinkedIn? What do you mean you don't have 500 connections? I felt crazy. <laughs> it was something I had to learn about that subset of that culture. So where do you go when you want to promote yourself? You go where they are. You meet them where they are. 
they weren't on Facebook, like how the teachers were, they were on LinkedIn. So then I had to get savvy with LinkedIn. It, it was a learning process for me. Definitely a learning process. It makes yeah. sense. And now for a word from one of our sponsors. Are technology issues slowing you down at your school? If that's the case, look no further than Five Star Technologies Virtual Help Desk. Their team of experts are available to support you remotely, resolving up to 40% of common issues like password resets, device connectivity, and lots more. With just a few clicks, you'll have access to their live chat from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday through Friday. Just enter your email to get started. Then you'll live chat with one of Five Star's ed tech experts to diagnose your problem. And if their virtual help desk agent can't solve the issue completely, they will dispatch the ticket to your school's on-site tech team. Let Five Star Technology Solutions be your support partner. Experience their virtual help desk, which is affordable, efficient, and always there for you. Please contact them at fivestartech.com forward slash contact us. Once again, fivestartech.com forward slash contact us. And for your convenience, you'll find this link in the episode show notes. To an entrepreneur starting out, what are three things you would tell them they need to do immediately? Or even those that are already in the game, but they're not getting the results that they're looking for. Fair enough. Number one, figure out how you want to spend your time. This is the biggest thing I find with people who are just starting out or have been in the game and haven't been getting the hits. It's because their attention is too scattered. One of the things I live by, where your awareness flows, your energy goes. Mm. And I heard it. And then she said it again. And, and, and I love that because it's so true. Sometimes we are just so hyper-focused on trying to get our names out there that we don't understand that where we put our energy is where we're going to be the most effective. If we're scattering our energy around 10 different things, but we're not doing those 10 things effectively, it's better to spread your energy across two things and do those two things really freaking well. So that's number one. Number two is figuring out the branding. I know we've already talked about this, but I'm going to say it one more time. It is so important, y'all. You really need to figure out what you want to do. And if that thing changes, that's okay. When I first started out speaking, it was a lot about the tactical components of STEM education and technology integration into science and mathematics classrooms. That carried, and then I became a STEM coach. I was an instructional coach focused specifically on STEM education. So, huh. Now we've got some instructional coaching sessions and workshops, right? Now we've got some webinars that are focused on coaching. Now that I'm in the um, ed tech space, I have to be very careful because there's a Victoria Thompson comma person who happens to work at Microsoft and then Victoria Thompson comma Microsoft education. So I will present on behalf of my company from time to time. Most of the presentations and the things that I do are still very much myself, but I also have to make that mark. Are we talking about very specific tools and technologies? Are we doing the Victoria Thompson thing? And again, things can fluctuate and change, but as long as you're being yourself, that's important. And then the last thing is for personal um, accounts, keep it on lock <laughs> because people will find you and they will want to know a little bit more about you. Um, there's always going to be an area of people wanting to know about who you are in your personal life and in that space, but don't feel like you need to give everybody your time all the time, always. You can still be you and have private accounts, 
be with your family, not feel like you need to answer everything all the time. You can just be you and, and that's okay because you need to draw the boundaries sometimes. There's three personas. There's your public, yes. Yes. there's your personal, and then there's your private one. <laughs> and yes. everyone doesn't yeah. have to be in all of them. Yeah, exactly. What is one thing you would tell an aspiring ed- entrepreneur not to do? The one thing I would tell them to not do is don't close doors in a split second. If someone says something to you and you're uncomfortable with how you might feel, I always believe that we shouldn't respond in anger and that we also shouldn't respond within a split second, unless it's something that is just so egregious. <laughs> like Then we can be like, all right, bye. I don't want to work with you. Um, <laughs> but if you don't get the response that you want from somebody and it makes you feel some type of way, sit with it for a little bit and then craft your response and figure out what you'd like to say and do. I can't tell you how many times I've worked with folks and it might not be the response that I want the first time, but then because I keep the doors open and the lines of collaboration open, then we have the opportunity to work on later down the road. So to give you an example, there's a company that I'm working with right now where I've got my price, my hourly price, and they were very upfront that they couldn't accommodate that. So let's say that my price, let's say it's $200 an hour. Let's just say that. And they were like, okay, we can't do 200. We can do 50. That's a big cut. But what would have happened if I were to say, okay, I can't take you on. I'm really sorry. Like, peace, bye. Versus what I said, which was, okay, if you would still like to work with me, here's what I can do for $50 an hour versus the 200. Again, even though it's not what we wanted, keeping the lines of communication open because then they can make the most informed decision to say, okay, do we want a consultant or entrepreneur that can do everything we want within the budget that we have? Or would we rather take the cut and and continue to work with this person? I've seen deals with other people go way haywire because they're like, ah, forget this. I don't want to work with them. I'm like, okay, did you have a dialogue? Did you talk to them? (laughs) So just keeping those lines open is always good. Always good. Yeah. And one thing I've done, and I think you'll agree, is that in the beginning, your website gets inquiries or your LinkedIn, and it'll be, hey, George, hey, Victoria, we're having a conference or we're having a PD day. We would love to speak with you about the possibility of hiring you X, Y, and Z. Now it's, hey, George, we're having a PD day. We would love for you to come and do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And I have found that by simply stating, this is my fee, I hope it aligns with your budget. But if it doesn't, Mm We can work something out. We can have a conversation. Exactly. That is very different than being, this is it. I have found that no one really ever argues with the price unless they just don't have it. Right. Exactly. And if they don't have it, then the conversation becomes, here's, okay, what do you have if you'd still like me to come? And then here's what I can do with the budget that you have instead of just completely closing off the door. Fantastic. Let's transition into your passion for Microsoft. Yes. You clearly love Microsoft. They have been very good to you. I see that online. I've seen you interact with your colleagues in Illinois. Everyone knows Microsoft. Like, Can Mm -hmm. you explain what Microsoft does to support educators and education? 
I'm going to start big picture with leadership and then go down to pre-service educators. Uh, the best way that I can describe it is that we've got a robust community of educators, of which I lead. Uh, there are 830 educators that are in the MIE Expert, which stands for Microsoft Innovative Educator Expert Ecosystem. Uh, we also have 42 schools that are our Microsoft Showcase schools in the United States. They are schools that are completely bought into the Microsoft solution, Windows devices, they use Microsoft Teams. Microsoft 365, all, all that fun stuff. We also have 30 schools that are about to enter the ecosystem. They're not quite there yet because it's not like they're just like, I'm a Microsoft school. Right? They, there's a very robust program that they go through for uh, educational transformation and digital transformation, and they can be accepted into the program. We have our showcase schools that are already in the ecosystem. And then I mentioned the ones that are joining the ecosystem. Those are our incubator schools. So they're not quite showcased, but they're almost there. I like to put it into four different buckets, and I change the words every time I talk, but they all mean the same thing. Support, community, and then the other two. So, so, so those are really the big two. And before I go into the other ones, I'll just begin there. For support, that's huge. In education, there are a lot of times where we just don't feel appreciated, point blank period. It's hard to feel appreciated in education sometimes. We definitely make it a point to ensure that our educators are not only supported, but they've also got a face behind the support. When mm. people contact me, they don't get a robot, they get me, right? If someone's presenting at a conference, I send them a handwritten note, like letting them know, hey, I saw you presenting at that conference. That's really cool. Just like little touches here and there um, that are great. We're also in the process of figuring out what the MIE travel program looks like. Uh, we nixed it this quarter. I almost said quarter, this semester, if, if we want to think of it in like academic terms. The reason being is because when I take a look at the different conferences that were supported, they were mostly the very, very large ones where I think that's awesome. But also at the same time, there's a lot of regional conferences that sometimes our educators can't go to ISTE. They can't go to TCEA. They can't go to FETC. They might want to go, but maybe it just doesn't work out. So Spreading the wealth, making sure that everybody is supported and can attend things the way that they want to. On top of that support, we also have the community. So I host community calls that happen every single month. Uh, so these calls are just time for us to connect, uh, look at better practices. I don't like best practices because we can always be doing better, right? Uh, so we take a look at better practices with educational technology, utilizing Microsoft tools. And then on top of that, too, we've got regional cohorts that meet up um, every month-ish, either virtual or in person, where they just meet the people that are around them in their areas. And it's just nice. We also have the capacity building. This is not a program or a community in Microsoft where you take a test and you're done. In fact, I very specifically say no to that. <laughs> and, and we will not have a test because I believe in the portfolio building because that's how we build capacity. There is no test to become a Microsoft Innovative Educator Expert. You submit a portfolio to me. Now, there are still some questions like, where do you work? What's your email? What's your name? How often do you use this? How often do you use that? I, I don't need an essay on that. I just want you to click like on a scale of one to three, like how often do you use it? When it comes to the other stuff, it's really multiple long form questions as well as samples of work. That way I can see who you are because I believe a test does not determine your worth as an educator. We have our MIE Fellows Program. These are the regional leaders of every single cohort. On top of that, we have our Microsoft Coaching Program. So this is brand new this year. 
Shout out to I2E. So they are uh, owning this program and they've got multiple ways for people to become Microsoft coach certified. And the last piece of the puzzle is the communication. Once again, if you contact me, you get me. We really try to stay on top of our communications. And we also amplify the work that our educators are doing. When I think about support, it really is support, right? It, it, it's not just, okay, you can reach out if you have a question. We cultivate a community together. I know everyone listening is impressed with what Microsoft offers. Mm-hmm. I know the elephant in the room question is, Victoria, how did you get that job? That's a delightful question. And I always like to start by saying that this is the first job that I applied for seriously at Microsoft. Sometimes you're just done with the job that you have and you like rage apply right? and you're like, I'm going to apply for this or this and just see what happens. This was the first job that I really very seriously applied for to the point where when I actually went into the Microsoft portal to apply for the job, it still had my resume from like 2016. Up there. <laughs> so wow. it had definitely been a while. It was one of those things where I said, okay, these are the options. This one makes the most sense right now. I had a couple of close calls with a couple of other companies and they made it very clear. And for anyone listening, I want to shout this out. They made it very clear that I was out of their price range. So there was one company that I spoke to where they were like, okay, what is, I said, what is the expected salary for this? I don't want to waste anybody's time. I, I was making about 75K as an instructional coach in Washington, which is not bad for a first or second year coach. But I also knew that the money that I was making from consulting was bringing in more money every single time. And I wanted to uh, at least make sure that if I'm taking on a new role, it's going to outpace what I make as a consultant. Because mm. otherwise, I'm just going to become a consultant and call it a day. But I like stability. Anyway, so I'm asking. And I'm thinking that this role is going to be 110, 120, just based off of the things that they're saying, right? All the different job duties. This definitely had C-suite vibes, right? Like C-suite level executive. <laughs> I about fell out of my chair when they said it was only 88K. And I was like, okay, no. And, and, and that's when I was like, okay, well, this was what I was expecting. And there were at least four different companies I spoke to where they said, okay, thank you, Victoria, but no, thank you because I was too expensive for them. But again, that that was me coming in with my expertise, the things that I did, and I was saying, this is what I'm looking for. So if it's not a good match, thank you for at least letting me know up front. So I, I go through a couple different companies where it's either a really close call and I don't get the job, or they give me the job, but it's not what I expect. After all this, I'm getting really frustrated because the rubber is about to meet the road and I've got three different big conferences that are coming up. FETC, TCEA, and IdeaCon. That was when we first met last year. But I'm going through this process and I'm thinking, okay, I either stick out this job through the rest of the year and then I figure it out in the summer because I'm driving myself bananas (laughs) trying to figure out the next step. Or I take the leap and I keep applying for jobs. That morning, my good friend, Karen Philhart, so she's based out of California. She calls me at five o'clock in the morning. She's in a school district, but she's very in the Microsoft ecosystem. She calls me and she goes, I just got this job alert at Microsoft. I don't want it, but I think you would be perfect for it. So I said, okay, don't say more, right? Let's talk about it a little bit. So she goes through and it's the job that I have now. And it's all about supporting schools and districts 
through digital transformation, working with supers, working with principals, working with teachers, managing educator communities. And I'm thinking, okay, this sounds like something that I would be really interested in and also really good at. So then she said this, and this is word on the curb. I cannot confirm or deny because I'm not an HR and I'm not a hiring manager, but she said that you should apply within the first 24 to 72 hours because otherwise, statistically, they get inundated with applications. Mm. And I'm not just saying this for Microsoft. I'm saying this for jobs all up. Statistically, you have better chances if you apply within the first 24 to 72 hours. So I'm like, okay, cool. And, and she said, okay, so since it's five o'clock, we're going to apply right now, right? <laughs> so I did. And I decided to apply for the job. And I looked at it and I saw that it was posted less than 12 hours ago. So I'm like, okay, I'm within that time frame. Cool. Decided to apply. Didn't think anything about it. I, I applied in October. The day before New Year's Eve, I'm waking up and I see an email in my inbox from the recruiter at Microsoft. And they're like, oh, we would love to have a conversation with you. Uh, can you meet in 30 minutes? <laughs> so, so I'm like running to get clothes on, trying to figure things out. But anyway, speaking to the power of social media and having a positive presence, the first thing the recruiter says was, do you know the hiring manager? And I'm like, I don't know. Why? So she tells me her name and I find out that the hiring manager and I were not only connected on social media and had been for a very long time, but we had seen each other at conferences and things like that. So mm. then the hiring manager says, oh, she loves you. And she says, you're all over social media. So again, <laughs> the power of branding, y'all, they knew me before I entered the room. Can I unpack some of what you said? Because yes. I know people are watching, people are listening, and they want to treat this like a chapter four in a dissertation. They want to replicate <laughs> your success. They want to follow your steps. I want to pull out two yeah. things. Marketing. Marketing. For folks that don't know, I have a minor in marketing, meaning I, I under about you. Okay, meaning, very cool. So my major was business information systems, is computer science, and is business or management information systems. Here's the thing: the two things that I understood was accounting and promotion. That translates to you if you're an entrepreneur, is marketing and promotion. Correct. Putting your work out there, social media. Now the other thing that I unpacked from all of that. And it makes sense. You have a degree in curriculum and instruction. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. Initiatives like STEM, like computer science, PBL, SEL, all the L's, these are initiatives. Schools are held accountable for curriculum and instruction. Correct. Yep. Right. So if you're a consultant, it's great if you can speak to all these different things. But at the end of the day, schools are being held accountable for CNI. CNI in most organizations needs to guide the ship. And right. if you can't speak to or show how you can help schools lift the bottom line, you're not going to qualify for those big jobs. Right. You're not going to qualify for those type of contracts. That's why. Even though I do all these different things, if you really take a moment to unpack my work, all of my work, whether it's EdTech, whether it's CS, whether it's STEM, SEL, it's integrated into curriculum, and how teachers plan, yes. and instruction, how they facilitate. Those are the two things. And that makes sense why you're so successful. I wanted folks that are listening to glean what the awesome sauce is, what the secret thing is. 
Yeah, so you're exactly right. And on top of that, too, something I did not know, something I don't know that I should have known, but they ended up confirming it later, is sometimes at work, they'll pull a mentor resume. So what a mentor resume is, is they will have the ideal candidate and they will either create the resume themselves or they will pull it from the candidate pool. Right. So what they actually did was they used my resume as the mentor resume as somebody that would be the perfect candidate for the role. And it's because I had the teaching. I had the consulting. I had worked with multiple companies. I had worked with multiple districts. I was already in the ecosystem as an educator and an instructional coach. I knew Microsoft tools and technology in and out. And then on top of that, too, I had already appeared in various capacities in their media. So if you look at like the, if you search what's new in EDU, Victoria Thompson, I was talking about math tools in OneNote. They came and they filmed me at my school, right? So they knew me, they knew who I was. The conversation with the recruiter was really just a conversation. She was really interested in who I was because she didn't come from education, which is something else I want to point out. A lot of times recruiters don't have backgrounds in the different types of jobs, right? They're there to recruit and they're there to screen. So the conversation you have with the recruiter, you might be interviewing them more than they're interviewing you. But by the end of it, she's, I love you. I'm going to pass you on. I ended up going to the next stage, which was the actual interview. And I know sometimes long interviews get flack from people, which I understand. One of the companies I went through tried to put me through 10 months of interviews, one interview per month, 10 months of interviews. At that point, and this was years ago, at that point, I already had a job lined up. So I was just doing it just to see what would happen, (laughs) literally. (laughs) But for Microsoft, it was about five hours and four interviews with breaks in between and the lunch and all this stuff. I was shaking in my boots. Because this was my first time interviewing for a big tech company. I've worked with companies in consulting capacities. I've also worked with smaller companies. But this was my first one where this is the big leagues. People get paid a lot of money to do a lot of very important things. And and I'm no longer handling like field trip permission slips. They're like a $10,000 coaching budget. I'm handling budgets that are millions of dollars. So they, they have to trust me. And they have to believe in me in order for me to work there. There were 200 people that applied, six people that made it to the final, and then I got the job. So that's how I ended up. Imagine if people vetted their personal relationships the way that major corporations and major brands (laughs) vet their employees. Right. (laughs) I'm feeling very important, y'all. I'm going to pop my collar a little bit. And the reason why is because She's on the phone with me right now. I am, yes. She's on the podcast. For me to get her on the podcast, that tells me that I'm doing something right. For folks just tuning in, this is called the Lifelong Learning to Find Podcast. If you're tuning in on YouTube, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, share this with a friend. Lots of gems, lots of jewels here being dropped about entrepreneurship, about Microsoft. But because it's called the Lifelong Learning to Find Podcast, I ask my guests about things that they're passionate about. Victoria is passionate about Disney. If you're a parent, a trip to Disney at some point, whether it's Disneyland or Disney World, it's going to happen or it's going to be requested. I'm going to ask her a few questions that I think will help us out. Number one, I need to ask you this. Mm. Why are you so passionate about Disney? So the first time I went, 
it was for my fifth birthday. It was 1998 and it was my present. We, we went to Disney. We stayed at the Contemporary, which is one of the resorts where the monorail goes straight through. And to me, I just thought everything was so cool. To me, it was the most magical place on earth, which is that's Disney World. Disneyland is the happiest place on earth. So they're two different things. Um, yes. For me, it's the level of service and attention to detail. I've been to so many theme parks. I used to live close to Six Flags Great Adventure, King Ka, right, New Jersey. I went to Hershey Park. I've been to Dorney Park. I've been to Carowinds. I've been to so many, and I've been to so many different theme parks. But for me, it is the level of attention and the level of service and just the detail is fantastic. And that's the kind of service I always like to give in my personal and my professional life too. Like, I don't just want to be like, okay, here's a roller coaster next to the cotton candy stand. Like the, the theming and the way that things are conducted is fantastic. So that's why I like Disney. It's just different. I've been to both Disneyland and Disney World. Okay. What's the major difference other than the theme? One space. Disneyland, it's two different parks that are literally right across from each other. So I remember the first time I went to Disneyland and I was like, that's Disneyland Park. That's California Adventure. They are right across the sidewalk from each other versus Disney World. You can't do that. <laughs> you have to take the monorail or a bus or a boat. Sometimes you can walk, which is cool, but really it's the space. And then for me, Disneyland is charming. Like that is a very charming park. Disney World is grand. <laughs> it, it, it is just so grand. And I love Animal Kingdom. Disneyland needs an animal kingdom. I, I love Epcot. Epcot is my favorite park. Hollywood Studios and California Adventure, I'd say, are pretty similar. But for me, it's just the variety in, in what's offered there. I've been to a lot of theme parks myself. Mm -hmm. As a parent. Yes. As a kid, I didn't have the money for that. But as a parent, I've been to a lot of parks. And what I will say is this. Get the Express Pass. Don't fool around and be on lines and waiting for stuff. When you have the express pass, you typically go right away. Now it costs more money, right? Yeah. But it makes your experience a whole lot better. What's one piece of advice that you would give someone going to Disney for the very first time? See, it's funny you said that because I'm going to say the opposite. And I'm not saying the opposite in like a bad way, but I'm saying at Disney, you have to research it. Because they instituted FastPass with Genie Plus and Lightning Lane. So I don't know if you've heard about that. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you got a Disney fan here. So FastPass used to have three passes that, you, that were included in your package. So I could go on right now and, and do three rides. And I'm like, okay, they're already in my queue. I don't have to pay extra for them. They replaced that with Genie Plus. And with Genie Plus, what happens is you're paying per person per ride per day. So mm. instead of purchasing a pass for the family for the day, let's say it's like a family of four. Let's say the pass is $25, so you're an extra $100 out. But $100 isn't bad, right? Right now, if I were to go on my app, I still have my iPhone 8, George. <laughs> I'm not giving this thing up. Okay, yeah, my daughter if I were to go for Disney Genie, it's $22 per person to start. So that wow. just gets you the pass. And then wow. if I were to go on individual rides, I'd have to pay an additional fee per ride. Mm. So 
I, I do like the skip the line, but I always like to tell people to be really cautious about it and use it wisely because you, you could easily be out an extra $1,000 if you're not playing your cards right. So wow. to that notion, get to the parks early, skip that 9 a.m. Chef Mickey's breakfast. You don't need it, right? Because by the time you get to the parks, the, the lines are already going to be an hour long. So mm. plan your day properly. Get there early because when you get there early, the lines are going to be shorter. And on top of that, don't feel like you need to be in the park all day. If you need a break, take a break. Go back to your resort. Relax in the Hall of Presidents. Do something. <laughs> because I've seen so many meltdowns from people that feel like they need to get the most value out of the day. And then they just get stressed and they get burnt out. So take your time, do your research, and have fun. Take your time, do your research, have fun, relax, yes. and don't melt down. Victoria. I picked three things that I love and respect about you. And just as a recap for our audience, entrepreneurship and your passion for both Microsoft and for Disney. Mm -hmm. But what do you want folks that are watching or listening to know about you that hasn't been mentioned yet? Okay. So something I'm working on, not a lot of people know about this. I'm a horrible ice skater. Okay. Like you want comedy, put me on the ice. However, when we were back up in Seattle, I started taking lessons to, to get better because when I would go to friends for like ice skating, like during the holidays, it was embarrassing. I was falling over everywhere and everyone was doing the best they could to help me. But I was like, I got to learn to ice skates. I'm learning to ice skates. So that's a fun fact about me. And I'm getting better. I'm getting better. I can move around the ice. I can move myself around. And we're in Florida now, so it is a little bit trickier, but I'm very excited for this winter. Hopefully I can show off some of my new moves. That's fantastic. Yeah. This is a part of the show where I give you your flowers. Oh, thanks, George. I just think it's important to tell people how you feel about them while they're still here. Because I definitely do not want anyone speaking about me when I'm gone and they haven't told me. So I want to tell you. Victoria, you are an inspiration to me and to so many countless people all over the world, number one. Number two, you're a tremendous resource, a tremendous asset. Your piece of advice helped me in my business in ways that I will explain after. <laughs> but number three, you're just a genuinely nice, down-to-earth, humble person that is making a tremendous impact on education, on your community, for folks that identify the way you do, and even outside of that, like myself. And I just want to say thank you. I don't say this to everyone, but I'll say it to you. I love you, and thank I appreciate you. you, and I'm so glad that you and I are friends. Thank oh, you. Thank you. All right, so let's put this into the universe. How can people, not just in Orlando, not just in Florida, not just in America, mm -hmm. hire you and bring you to their event, their organization, so that you can yeah. speak, you can teach, and you can inspire the world? It's yeah. easy. It's victoriathetech.site. That's where you can find me. Because my Twitter handle is also victoriathetech, where I share a lot of information just about to or how rather to make education and technology more inclusive. You can also connect with me on linkedin.com backslash Victoria Rose Thompson. 
And they can also email me because once again, when you email me, you get me, you get, you don't get a bot, you don't get an assistant, you get me. So I am at VictoriaRoseCompton at gmail.com. Once again, that's just my full name. Please don't be a stranger. Reach out if you've got any questions. Uh, let me know how I can be of assistance to you. Thank you. That's our show for today. Until next time, this is the Lifelong Learning to Find podcast. Thank you for listening to the Lifelong Learning Defined podcast with George Valenzuela.